I believe in li the liberation of the people of Palestine, and I believe in the liberation of the Jewish people. And and those things are not just not mutually exclusive, they're, they require each other. Welcome to Unsettled. I'm producer Max Friedman. At the end of our episode on cultural resistance, we promised you a bit more from my conversation with playwright and musician Dan Fishback. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, you might want to do that. You'll get to properly meet Dan and hear him speak with Palestinian actor Mataz Malhiz about their work. After Mataz had to leave, I asked Dan to stay a little while longer to talk about a particular boycott campaign he took part in and how he sees that campaign as different from the censorship of his own play, Rubble Rubble. Hey, it's Alana. Before we hear more from Dan Fishback, I want to make sure you know about an exciting opportunity we have for our listeners. We've had the privilege of hearing some incredible stories since we got started, and that got us thinking about who's listening to Unsettled and why. What are your stories? In January, Unsettled will be releasing submissions from our listeners about how they became engaged in the conversation around Israel and Palestine. We'll be airing these in conjunction with a fundraising campaign. If you'd like to share your story with Unsettled, please send a short recording, about five to seven minutes long, to unsettledpod at gmail.com. And feel free to email us there with any questions about how to participate. Okay, back to Max and Dan. This past summer, you signed on to a letter to Lincoln Center. Do you want yes. to tell me about it? Yeah, um, Lincoln Center was producing um, two different Israeli plays, um, over the summer. One was funded by the state of Israel and one was not. And uh, as part of the BDS movement, as part of the cultural boycott of Israel, a bunch of theater artists signed a letter uh, asking Lincoln Center to cancel the production of the state that was funded, of the play that was fun funded by Israel. I, I mentioned the other Israeli play to clarify that the cultural boycott is not a boycott of Israeli plays. <laughs> it is a boycott of plays that are funded by the state of Israel. The boycott did not apply to the other Israeli play in the festival. I think that's really, really notable because there's so many misconceptions about the cultural boycott. I, I wrote an essay in the for, for the foreword called Five Myths About BDS That Every Theater Lover Should Understand um, because there's so much misinformation. And obviously there, my opponents uh, after the cancellation of my play are coming at me with the superficial comparison that, oh, I was trying to get this other play canceled and then I'm like complaining that my play was canceled. To me, these things are incredibly different for many, many, many reasons. On the fundamental level, these are different to me because I oppose shunning where there's nothing anyone can do about it. Like, the the forces that want my play canceled they there's nothing i can do to get around what they want they don't want this belief to exist in the world they don't want this perspective to exist in the world the play that was at lincoln center on the other hand if they wanted to sacrifice that funding from the state of israel if they wanted to not perform in settlements, those are two tangible things that they could do to avoid being boycotted, right? It is contingent upon their direct collaboration with an apartheid state. So it's not about 
the content of the play. It's not about the political beliefs of the artists. It's specifically about that financial relationship or that state relationship. And one of the reasons why that's important is because when an Israeli artist takes money from the Israeli state, they sign a document basically agreeing to become an emissary of the state of Israel. They sign a document saying basically that they agree that the purpose of traveling the world is to um, you know, improve the, the image of Israel in the eyes of the world and they will not defame the state of Israel, blah, 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 blah. So they're basically agreeing to be becoming an instrument of propaganda. And this is not a conspiracy theory. This is like very well documented that Brand Israel, which is basically a, a, an organ of the state of Israel, specifically decided to um, create Israeli culture that could travel the world in order to uh, change the image of Israel in the world so that it would no longer be an image of militarization and it would become an image of like dance and, <laughs> and, and, and other cultural things. That's a political choice that the state of Israel made. And when artists take that money in order to make their work, they are supporting a political choice that their government made. They are becoming an emissary of their government. They're becoming a function of that government. When I resist that, I am resisting the state of Israel. And I am asking artists to not participate in, uh, to not participate in that campaign. There's a way out. When dissident voices on Israel-Palestine within the Jewish community are silenced, there's no way out. They, the silencing of pe me and people like me when plays get canceled, when speakers get canceled, when people are, you know, driven out of organizations, excommunicated from communities, excommunicated from families. Uh, it, it's not, it's about the desire to erase a belief and erase a point of view. To me, these things are different. I think one point that may be salient, unless you think it isn't, mm -hmm. is that the play at Lincoln Center was an adaptation of To the End of the Land by David Grossman, which is, right. I would say, not considered to be a chest-beating... Right. Right. And that is why... So listen, the, the guidelines behind the cultural boycott are very, very thoughtfully written. And the, the architects of it went to great lengths to make sure that the BDS movement would not become an instrument of censorship. And by that, I mean not become something that decides what is appropriate to say and what is not appropriate to say. That is, to me, censorship. When people, um, you know, uh, try to erase ideas, try to erase speech. And the way they did that was by, make, by having it entirely related to an artist's relationship to the state. The BDS movement, when it comes to culture, does not have to do with the content of a work. So to me, it's not that relevant that uh, the, the, the play in question is seen as, as uh, not super right-wing because it is fulfilling a right-wing function in the world by becoming an emissary for the state. Um, that said, I am much more interested in trying to get institutions to commit to not programming Israeli state-funded work in the first place, I'm, I'm more interested in that than I am in trying to get things canceled. Um, but it's gonna become increasingly harder to do that because, especially in New York, a place like New York, because 
Governor Cuomo signed an executive order saying that it is illegal, basically, or it gets not maybe not illegal. Governor Cuomo signed an executive order saying that the state of New York will not do any kind of commerce with any person or entity that supports the boycott of Israel. So that means that any arts institution that signs on to BDS and commits not to not working with Israeli artists, that's not what BDS does. If an if a institution commits to not programming work that is funded by a foreign state, if they make this pretty modest commitment, then they run the risk of losing all of their state funding, which for arts organizations in New York State is a very, very significant thing. So what I expect will happen at some point is that at some point, some arts institution will make this pledge and then the state of New York will uh, um, get rid of all of its arts funding and they will sue the state of New York and they will win because it is so blatantly unconstitutional. And that, I mean, that's the, the aspect of the cultural boycott that interests me the most. It's not about individual plays or individual works of art getting, getting canceled from any given institution. It's about institutions making choices because uh, the, the point of the boycott was to place pressure on institutions and states. <laughs> and individuals get wrapped up in it when they get wrapped up in it, but it's really not about individuals. It's about things that are much bigger than that. I'm going to now put on the hat of some of my family members. Please, I want to be pushed. <laughs> um, it's a small one, but I know that if they are even still listening, mm -hmm. uh, they have bristled at the word apartheid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if you can briefly explain your choice to use that word. Yeah, I mean, the definition of apartheid is two different populations of people living on the same land, but subjected to different laws, different and unequal laws. That is my understanding of the definition of the word apartheid as it's used by like the United Nations, for instance. That is literally what is happening in Israel-Palestine. There are two different... Uh, laws for two different people that are living on basically the same land. If you want to say it's not the same land because this ridiculous shape is is uh, these these are the settlements and these are this is where the Palestinians live in these ridiculous ridiculous shapes then I think you on some level anyone who says that already knows that they're wrong and then someone else might say but it's but that's that's just in the West Bank it's not that way, that way in you know uh, in original Israel, and I would say that the re if you go there, the reality is that it is the same in 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 within Israel. If you go to the Negev and see Bedouin Palestinians that are being forcibly removed from their homes so that the Jewish National Fund can plant trees, you know that that would not happen to them if they were Jewish. There are a number of laws that uh, within Israel that privilege Jews over all other people. You know, you and I can go to Israel and become citizens immediately. There are different laws for us and for them. And that is apartheid. And if you want, if someone wants to come at me and spend hours splitting hairs about the differences between Israel-Palestine and apartheid South Africa, I will be the first to tell you there are differences between apartheid South Africa and Israel-Palestine. That's not the point. And if your semantic argument is like apartheid can only ever apply to, to South Africa, then we're having a really pointless semantic argument 
that is really distracting from the reality of the situation. I'm very uninterested in semantic arguments when it comes to Israel-Palestine um, because they take so much time and energy and people are so invested in them. So half of the time when you're trying to have a meaningful discussion, it becomes about what does apartheid mean? What do all these words mean? And it's like, okay, we, we can talk about that or we can talk about the reality of what's happening. The reality of what you know I mean when I say apartheid matters a lot more than the differences in the definitions that are in our minds. And this is, this is something I think a lot when it comes to the concept anti-Zionist, which I have been um, pretty enthusiastic about using because I really want to like normalize what it means to oppose Zionism in my own life. But more and more, I'm toying with <laughs> with sort of forefronting being like a liberationist Jew <laughs> as opposed to an anti-Zionist Jew because I'm I'm becoming a I'm more interested in what I'm for than what I'm against mm -hmm. B I'm just so sick of having conversations about words mm. as opposed to conversations about reality um and uh and I want to really clarify what I believe in I believe in li the liberation of the people of Palestine and I believe in the liberation of the Jewish people and and those things are not just not mutually exclusive they're uh they require each other so pro-liberation <laughs> or we could have another you know hour-long conversation about words <laughs> if there's one thing i learned from grad school it's to hate words <laughs> good lesson good yeah lesson. i learned a couple of other things but mainly but this is the thing i mean this is a very jewish thing to argue about words mm. this is like what we've been doing for thousands of years right but you know yeah there's a time to stop it's the Talmud. It's the secular Talmud. Yeah. yeah. The secular Talmud is groups of Jews arguing over whether or not Israel is apartheid instead of trying to stop Israeli apartheid. Unsettled is produced by Emily Bell, Asaf Calderon, Yoshi Field, Alana Levinson, and me. This episode was edited by Alana Levinson. Original music by Nat Rosenzweig. We recorded this episode in a studio for the first time. Shout out to Cast Sound Lab in Brooklyn, New York. Go to our website, unsettledpod.com, for show information. You can like Unsettled on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode of Unsettled.